Section 2 of Swanhilda and Other Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by The Story Girl. Swanhilda and Other Fairy Tales by Wilhelm Hauff. Translated by Carolyn Norris Horwitz. Section 2. Swanhilda, Part 2. 4. The Frustrated Nuptials. There was a little town in Swabia called Eglingen. In this little town lived Friedbert's mother, who was a widow. She hallowed the memory of her dead husband and cursed the Misnians, who had, she thought, slain her son. Whenever a maimed soldier, returning from the Misnian War, stopped before her door to ask for alms, she would always give him a groschen and inquire if he knew anything of her son. If he happened to be a loquacious fellow of an inventive mind, he would perhaps make up some story about her son, how he had fought bravely in the battle and had fallen as a hero, or how he had sent a farewell to his mother with his last breath as he lay on the field of bloodshed. Then the good mother would bring the impostor into her house and set wine before him, as a friend of her lamented son, her eyes brimming over afresh at the thought of her boy's last hours. In this way, four summers had passed over her, and the autumnal winds had set in, when the little town was awakened one day by the arrival of a messenger, announcing that Friedbert had not been slain in battle, but was even then returning from foreign lands well-equipped, that he had met with many wonderful adventures in the neighborhood of Misnia, and was now on his way home, bringing with him a most beautiful bride, who was the daughter of a great prince and possessed vast treasures. The report spread everywhere. The fact was that Friedbert had acquired great wealth by inheriting all Father Benno's savings, and also by the large sums of money which some of the people had paid him for little relics of the old hermit. As he travelled on towards Swabia, from place to place he increased his train. He bought horses and mules with handsome trappings, attired himself and the beautiful Swanhilda in elegant robes, hired servants and attendants, and travelled on as proudly as a prince. When the inhabitants of Egligan saw, in the far distance, the procession leaving the gates of Augsburger and travelling toward their town, they all assembled at the town gate with huzzas and shouts of triumph. Friedbert's sisters and their husbands, together with all the members of the town council and the other chief people of Eglingen, went out to meet their newly found fellow townsmen. They welcomed him with drums and fifes and all kinds of music and rejoicing, as if he had risen from the dead. The fond mother embraced her son with joy unbounded. She invited all her friends and acquaintances to a great feast of thanksgiving, and distributed alms freely among the poor. 
She could never weary of admiring the exquisite form of her future daughter-in-law and loading her with caresses. Indeed, she quite tired the lovely maiden with her well-meant attentions. The beautiful princess of Naxos soon became the talk of the town and all the neighboring country. Many knights and nobles rode thither, called the lucky Friedbert brother and cousin, sought his company and swore eternal friendship to him. But he kept the charming Swanhilda from seeing all these would-be admirers and left her to the faithful care of his loving mother. At every opportunity, and with all the ardor he possessed, Friedbert pleaded with her for the fulfillment of his greatest wish, and the beautiful foreigner, having no hopes of ever being able to return to her native land, overlooked the great difference between their respective stations in life, and at last consented to become his bride. He presented her with costly bridal raiment, the day for their marriage was appointed. The fatted calf and the capons were slain, and the wedding feast prepared. On the day before the wedding, the bridegroom-elect rode through the neighboring country to invite the guests to the marriage feast. In his absence, the lovely Swanhilda occupied the time in arranging her wedding attire, for woman's vanity enticed her to try on the new dress to see if it were becoming to her. As there were many things about the robe which did not suit her fancy, she was obliged to seek the advice of her future mother-in-law. The talkative old mother came at once when called and immediately poured forth a torrent of praises over the exquisite form of the graceful maiden and the beauty of the bridal costume. Yet Swanhilda was not contented with the robe. Especially did she find fault with the awkward set of the bridal veil, which she compared to a coarse waterproof. <sighs> said she with a sigh, that my wedding attire could be adorned by one of the veils of Naxos, which float in the air like the lightest snow cloud. Then would every maiden in the town envy me and Friedbert's chosen one would be praised as the most beautiful of brides. Tears of grief trickled down the maiden's bright cheeks at the reference to her home, which she feared she would never see again. The good mother was very much moved at this, for she believed the tears of a bride to be a bad omen. She comforted Swanhilda, by promising to give her a silver bando, which had once adorned her own head in her youth, and with which she could fasten on the veil in the Grecian style. She hastily opened an old chest, which contained her jewelry, and began to rummage about in it for the silver bando. Swanhilda watched her movements with some attention. Suddenly she spied at the bottom of the chest her own shining white swan plumage. Quickly she pushed aside the old mother, dragged up her priceless treasure, dashed open the window, and as she threw the light feather robe around her slight form, she became a swan. Then she spread her wings and flew joyfully out of the window. 
The astonished old woman became motionless with horror at this transmutation. For Friedbert had entrusted to her care the swan robe without imparting to her its wonderful secret. He had only told her to keep it at the bottom of the chest for safety. The old woman fell on her knees and prayed for protection, for she thought the beautiful Swanhilda was nothing more than a sprite or some devil's trick. Friedbert, little dreaming of the sad news that awaited him on his return, came riding joyfully home towards evening. He alighted quickly from his horse, and hastening up the steps without waiting to unfasten his spurs, he entered the hall to greet his bride. But as he opened the door, his mother, wailing loudly, hastened to meet him, and recounted to him the sad and wonderful occurrence of the morning. He listened to his mother's narrative with consternation. When she had concluded, he rent his clothes, tore his hair, and acted as if he were distracted, weeping as if his heart would break. The bridegroom, without a bride, found his condition unbearable. There is scarcely a more painful situation than to be shipwrecked just before entering the harbor, when one believes he has traveled safely around the world. It is quite as painful a situation to lose on the very evening before the wedding day a most fondly loved bride. Had she eloped with a robber? Had she, by the advice of some hard-hearted monk, entered a cloister? The bridegroom was at a loss to answer. But he determined to hunt down the robber, whoever he might be, and rescue the fair captive from his grasp, or to bring her out through the fast-closed portals of the nunnery. But she had flown out of the window and high up in the air. Whither then should he hasten after her? Or who could give him any clue? Friedbert, after meditating for some time, saw no other way to get possession of his truant bride than to traverse both land and sea until he found the hiding place of his beloved. His impatient longing for Swanhilda made him reflect with great sadness on the vast distance between the Swabian land and the island of Naxos. Ah! Oh, he cried out in utter despair. How can a miserable snail follow the light-winged lark, while the snail, unsteady and uncertain, toils along from one flower to another, never knowing where he will go next? Who can say, surely, that Swanhilda has flown back to Naxos, and even if she is now there, what good can that do me? Could I dare to aspire to the hand of the daughter of the Prince of the Land? With these reflections, the broken-hearted bridegroom tormented himself for many days, until his unconquerable longing for his bride drove him at last to a hasty resolution. Saddling his best horse, he took with him a large sum of money for his traveling expenses, and after bidding his mother an affectionate farewell, 
he rode away from his home and galloped quickly over his native lands toward the far-off island. As he rode, he recalled to mind the way in which Father Benno had reached the island. Taking the same route as the latter, Friedbert likewise, after a long sea voyage, only without shipwreck, arrived safe and sound at the island of Naxos. Here Prince Theodore, Swanhilda's father, yet swayed the scepter. The beautiful Helena, his partner in joy and woe, had long since slept her last sleep. 5. Found again on the island of Naxos. Friedbert sprang on land with joy. He trod with boundless rapture upon the native soil of his truant bride, whom he hoped to find again in her father's palace. He tried at once to get some information concerning the beautiful Swanhilda's hiding place, but no one could tell him whether the princess had vanished. This grieved him beyond measure, and he was uncertain whether he should return to his hermitage by the swannery or seek his lost prize on the banks of the Nile. While he was turning over in his mind what he had best do, a neighboring prince, who was soon to be married to Princess Irene, one of Swanhilda's sisters, arrived at the court of Naxos. Prince Theodore had prepared a magnificent marriage feast, and the ceremonies were to be concluded by a great tournament. This news revived in the Swabian hero all his war courage. Tormented as he was with melancholy and depression, he sought for some diversion. This relief he hoped to find in the coming contest. In the market of the city, and at all the cross streets, heralds proclaimed the day and hour of the tournament, and especially invited all foreign knights to attend and try their skill. Friedbert provided himself with a sparkling new suit of armor. He purchased at a high price a valiant steed, and on the stated day, at the appointed time, he appeared in the court, and without delay entered his name in the lists. In the first course, he broke the lance of his adversary with great skill. He kept his seat firmly in the saddle and earned by his bravery and tact the praises of all present, receiving congratulations from the newly married prince and princess. The tournament was followed by a series of charming dances. Although everything swam in a stream of pleasure and excitement, Yet Friedbert did not allow himself to be carried away in the whirl of enjoyment. In the midst of the noise of the gay court life, with songs and mummings and lively dances, he bore on his face the marks of his deep grief. His longing for his beautiful bride remained undiminished, and the Grecian maidens adorned themselves in vain for the stranger knight. One day, the bride, Princess Irene, began to banter him about his indifferent manner. Unfeeling knight, 
Is your heart quite free and yet insensible to all love and affection, that the blooming faces of the beautiful maidens of my court make no impression on you? Why do you often wander off alone and so sadly, when you are everywhere invited to participate in all the gay festivities of the court? Pray tell me your trouble, that I may see if it is in my power to help you in any way, for I see that you have some great hidden grief. Your kind thoughtfulness, noble Irene, replied Friedbert, sees into the depth of my soul. You conjecture rightly that I bear in my breast the deepest affliction, and I know not whether I dare cherish the idea of my grief being turned into joy or whether I must abandon all hopes forever. The lovely maiden whose charms hold me prisoner, mind and soul, moves not in the circle of your train. Nevertheless, I have found her in your father's palace, but alas, only in the form of what may be, perhaps, but the glowing imagination of an artist. And yet it seems to me incredible that any painter could produce such a work had not the master hand of nature first drawn those angelic features for him to copy from. The princess was impatient to learn which picture had made so deep an impression on the heart of the young knight. "'Follow me thither at once,' said she, "'that I may see if the charming features really belong to a maiden whom I know.' In the castle there was an exquisite collection of paintings. Some were only fancies of celebrated painters, while others were family portraits. Among these was a picture of Swanhilda. When they entered the gallery, Friedbert rushed with ardent impetuosity to the beloved picture, and said, half lost in contemplation, Behold! Here, the chosen of my heart, where can I find her? Upon your lips hangs my life or death. Speak, I adjure you, if all my past hopes are vain, so let me die at your feet. But if you can give me one ray more of that blessed hope, then reveal to me among what people or in what land is this angel of beauty that I may travel thither to seek out the joy of my heart, and by toil and deeds of fearless bravery win her affection, cost what it may. The princess seemed much embarrassed by this disclosure. Her face became grave, and she spoke as follows. Thoughtless man, how can you give your heart to a maiden in a picture without knowing if she be alive or not? And if living, whether she is of a companionable age for you and could return your love. Your imagination has indeed, this time, not quite led you astray, for this lovely face is neither a fancy of the painter nor yet a beauty of past ages. But it is the face of a young maiden who is very near and dear to me. Alas, once she lived in this castle, my dearest sister. But now she is miserable, 
a slave to misfortune. She could never return your affection, for she has already given her heart to a worthless wretch who is separated from her by many hundred miles, for she had the courage to escape from the snare that he had set for her. She nevertheless loved him, and now mourns over her ill fate in the solitude of a cloister. Friedbert feigned to be terribly shocked at this communication, but secretly rejoiced that he had discovered his bride's retreat, and yet more that he had received from the sister's lips the unexpected assurance of the princess's love for him. He entreated the kind-hearted Princess Irene to relate to him the story of her dear sister's misfortunes. She yielded to his request with a half-true and half-invented story. But Friedbert, knowing it already, could, without much trouble, separate the truth from the fiction. "'My sister,' said she, "'was wandering about on the coast of the sea.' driven beyond the safety of the walls around her father's palace by curiosity to visit some unknown spot. Hidden behind a sand mound on the curve of the shore, a pirate boat lay at anchor. The merry girl never thought of danger. Suddenly a pirate sprang out from the boat, hastily overtook the frightened girl and carried her in his arms to his boat, in which he at once sailed out into the broad sea. He tried by a thousand little attentions and flatteries to win her affection, and so at last succeeded in stealing her heart. She forgot her noble birth, and was on the very point of becoming united to the crafty pirate in the sacred and indissoluble bond of matrimony. Just then, the wind blew a small ship close to the pirate boat. My sister thought of her native land and of the bitter tears which were being shed for her at home. Yielding to the impulse, she cried out loudly to be rescued from the pirates, and by the help of those on board the ship, she escaped from her captors. But the strong affection for the pirate, which had already taken possession of her heart, was implanted deeply there and could not be rooted out. The separation from him, though her own act, caused her pain and regret. All her former joyousness vanished, her bright eyes lost their luster, and distress and regret are now fast sinking her into her grave. Then, exclaimed Friedbert, so shall her grave be also mine. My life is in my own hands, and who is he that shall hinder me from dying with the lovely princess? I beseech of you only one favor, namely to see that my body is buried next to hers, that at least in death we may be together. Yet allow me first the comfort of acknowledging to her that she is the light of my eyes the chosen of my heart. The Princess Irene was so moved by these words that she could not restrain her tears. She promised to comply with his request 
and provided him with a scroll to the abbess of the nunnery, begging her to allow the bearer of the same a private interview with the princess Callist. Friedbert mounted his steed immediately. Wavering between doubt and hope, he spurred the animal to his fastest gallop, to learn as soon as possible how his former bride would receive him. All things taken into consideration, he had reason to believe she had forgiven him for the robbery of her swan robe. With a beating heart, he entered the cell of the lovely maiden. She sat on a low stool just opposite the cell door. Her curling hair fell in soft ringlets over her shoulders, only loosely fastened back by a narrow silk band. Her head rested on her lily-white arms. She seemed to be in the deepest distress. She was evidently not aware that anyone was approaching her cell. But as Friedbert prostrated himself at her feet, she raised her tearful eyes and recognized her lover. He seized her fair hand with rapture and implored her, with all the ardor of his nature, to forgive him for the stealing of her plumage. The assurance and proof that he had followed her from Swabia to the distant island of Naxos, and from there to the cloister, gained for him full forgiveness, and the beautiful princess promised to share the rest of her life with him. To have won the victory after so many hardships and disappointments plunged the enraptured Friedbert into transports of delight. He could scarcely realize the blessed truth that Swanhilda was indeed his for life. Half beside himself with joy, and in company with his beloved bride, he hastened back to her father's palace. The princess Irene was amazed beyond expression that her sorrowing sister had so very suddenly given up her resolution to pass the rest of her life in seclusion, entirely cut off from the society of men. She embraced her tenderly, and with fervent joy welcomed her back to her home. Friedbert had, by his knightly bearing and pleasant manners, won the universal esteem and affection of the people of Naxos. Prince Theodore, Swanhilda's father, overlooked therefore all difference of rank and birth, and willingly gave his consent to the marriage of his daughter to the Swabian. More than all, Friedbert could depend upon his own good sword. This was ever ready and in hand to defend against any man his name and birth. Friedbert remained on the beautiful island of Naxos. His old mother was escorted thither by an ambassador. Thereafter, she spent her days with her noble son, and there he lived with his noble wife many happy years. The lovely Swanhilda always thought with delight and gratitude of the bold robbery of her swan plumage. It had brought her, she declared, to such a happy and loving union. End of Section 2